Hello and welcome to the first episode of the Spiced In Podcast for the year 2021. I'm your host Jacob and today we're going to be talking about George Mann's Myths and Fables and a little bit about the Mandalorian Season 2 Gallery Special. It's been a few weeks, I took a little time off before the holidays to just recharge. I wasn't really, uh, to be honest, I wasn't really feeling it the past two weeks, uh, just recording and editing a podcast that is. So I thought I would take some time off and come back refreshed, which I thankfully am now. So I'm ready to finally talk about Myths and Fables. I've been teasing it for like a month and a half now, I'm pretty sure. Uh, So we'll talk about that, but not before we hit a little bit of Star Wars news, uh, as well as uh, my thoughts on the Season 2 Gallery special. So, of course, the biggest news is last week we had the launch of the High Republic. On on Tuesday, we got Light of the Jedi and A Test of Courage, as well as The Great Jedi Rescue. And then on Wednesday, we got the uh, issue number one of the Marvel High Republic comic book line. Monday, however, we got a announcement, sort of a, a sort of kickoff launch uh, video live stream. It featured Kristen Baver from This Week in Star Wars, as well as the writers' room for the High Republic. Most of it was them talking about how excited they are, and you know, just getting ready for the launch of the new initiative. But they also teased quite a few new projects. Uh, we already knew about Kevin Scott's Into the Storm, the uh, novel, adult novel that'll come out in the summer of 2021. And we knew that Justina Island would be writing a YA novel, as well as Daniel Jose Older writing a uh, junior novel. Uh, but we didn't know what those were when they were coming out. But we finally got some more information about that, as well as even some new projects we had no idea were coming. So the first one is uh, Monster of the Temple Peak, which is a graphic novel. It's a, you know the first real dedicated Star Wars graphic novel we've had in quite some time. This will be by Cabin Scott with art by Rachel Stott. The cover features Ty York, the monster hunter, lightsaber wielding warrior, who was also in his Into the Storm uh, novel. We don't really know much about it. Uh, we just know that it will be coming out sometime. We yeah, we have no release date or anything. That's all. Uh, really, the cover art is all we've got at this point. So that's coming. That's pretty exciting. Uh, we already kind of knew this, but there's going to be more Star Wars insider fiction. Uh, there was issue 199 had Charles Sewell's Starlight Stories, uh, and that's going to be continuing with Justina Ireland and Kevin Scott writing some of those as well. Next, we got the announcement of Justina Ireland's YA novel, Out of the Shadows. Again, no release date for this. I have to assume it's uh, going to be in the summer with Into the Storm, but we got the announcement and the cover art for that. The novel features Vernestra Rowe from her A Test of Courage novel, uh, Reith Silas from Into the Dark. And as I say this, I realize I've been saying Into the Storm the whole time for Cavan's novel. It is The Rising Storm, Into the Dark, Rising Storm, two different books. But anyways, moving on. Uh, and then also it says Avon Staros is in it, who is also in A Test of Courage. There's been a little bit of confusion um, on, so the cover art features uh, Vern and Wreath and a young black woman who kind of looks like Avon Staros, uh, but the StarWars.com said the book features Avon Staros, but then uh, Justine Ireland on Twitter said that's not her on the cover, so I'm assuming, what from what we can tell, Avon's in the book, but this character is not Avon on the cover. Even though they look very, uh, they look very similar. They have very similar hairstyles, and every I mean, 
it's hard to tell. And this character also looks a bit like an inventor kind of mechanic person. But I don't know. I, maybe it's her older sister. I it's it's hard to tell, but we'll see. Uh, either way, that is going to be probably coming out in the summer as well. And then we got the junior novel from Daniel Jose Older that will be Race to Crash Point Tower. So uh, that is coming out again probably around the same time. Uh, the cover looks like it features Lulu Tally Sola, who is from his Star Wars Adventures uh, comic book line. As well as a new Jedi, Ram Jamorum, who is described as, as sort of a tinker uh, Jedi, who his, his force powers kind of he doesn't have force powers that affect ma- machinery uh, overtly, but he has some sort of connection there. The last big project announced was the High Republic: The Edge of Balance, which is a a original manga. The script is by Shima Shinya. Uh, but Justine Ireland will also be helping to write the novel. So again, don't know when that's coming out, but it's very exciting. I love the art on this, and I'm really, I'm really stoked to to see that come out. But that's not the only thing that uh, was talked about here. We got the announcement of the phasing of the High Republic. Previously, I just assumed that uh, the books that came out right now are Phase One and Phase Two would be the summer novels. Uh, but that's not the case. So first off, we have the three phases. They're titled Phase 1, Light of the Jedi, Phase 2, Quest of the Jedi, and Phase 3, Trials of the Jedi. And Phase 1 is going to be going through this, the full 2021 into 2022, is what we were told. We don't know exactly when that's going to be, uh, but it's, yeah, it's, it's going to be quite a bit longer than I expected. Uh, you know, the way they made it sound is this is like five to six year probably publishing arc, assuming all the phases are equal in uh in time. So that's very exciting. Uh, I'm glad that uh, it's not going to be just like a two-year, like, here's your novels and we're done. It's, it seems like it's going to be a much more longer-lasting initiative, which is very, very exciting for me. Uh, and then lastly, uh, they are announcing a new StarWars.com show. So the Star Wars show uh, was uh, ended recently, but they have a new one coming up. It's going to be the uh, High Republic show, it's a bi-monthly YouTube video series hosted by Christina Ariel. Uh, so that's very exciting. The first one is coming out, it's like the week before Into the Dark. So I'm going to take a wild assumption and say they're going to have Claudia Gray on there, maybe hyping up the book. Uh, but yeah, that's that's all the High Republic news. I kind of just quickly touched, <laughs> quickly, as I talk about it for like five minutes. There's so much to talk about that I had to cover it all. But if you want to see me go more in-depth on it, uh, I would check out uh, the YouTube channel for the Spiceton. I plan to have a new Light from the Beacon that not only covers the launch of the High Republic, but the future of the High Republic through all these announcements. So, that is all the Star Wars news that is really worth talking about. Uh, so, with that said, we're going to go on to our discussion. It's, I'm just going to be very brief about the Mandalorian Gallery Season 2. So this was very different. I, uh, you know, we were told that the gallery was going to be out on Christmas Day, and it was. I was really excited to see what they were going to do with it. Uh, you know, I love season one. I really like like behind the scenes documentary stuff. Empire of Dreams is on Disney Plus, and that's absolutely fantastic. If you're a big original trilogy fan, highly recommend that. Uh, but I loved the first season of the gallery, and there's like, you know. They had eight episodes that all were very clear. Here's a different side of production. And I was really excited to see season two. And I was kind of interested. It's like, well, 
are you just going to do the same kind of things over again? We're going to have another practical effects episode and talk about the evolution of practical effects from season one to season two. Or are you going to have one for music? Is it going to follow the same formula or are you going to try and do something different? And like I, it, I felt it was kind of a tough spot to be in, especially you have COVID going on and affecting production. Uh, but what we got was not what I expected. It was a one single special. Uh, it was like a little bit over an hour long that just they broke down it episode by episode, talked a little bit about the behind the scenes. And that was it. That's that's the gallery season two right there. That There's no more. That was all we got, which was a little disappointing. I You know, I understand with COVID that it wasn't possible. Uh, it probably was not possible. Like, you know, I don't know exactly to do what they did with season one. And again, even without it, it would have, I feel like it would have been tough to have something that felt fresh and new and worth the time as opposed to just retreading their steps from season one uh, gallery episodes. So I understand that. Having said that, I'm a little disappointed. Uh, I still, you know, don't get me wrong. I still very much enjoyed it, but you know, like watching it about 20 minutes. I'm like, I kind of had the realization like, oh, this is, so this is what's happening. It's just, we're just gonna see them, yeah, do it all at once. So it was definitely cool. Uh, I think probably like my my favorite part of it, the whole special was the section on Robert Rodriguez's episode. It was an episode that I honestly did not love when I watched it the first time. It was the episode where Boba first teams up with uh, Mando on Tython. It like when someone said, "Hey, look, they basically just did it. It's basically a." Um, filming in southern california which they did confirm it's like it was in like a basically a suburb like a 45 minute drive of out from la like once i said that I'm like oh yeah and, and it, it was a fun episode but it didn't really do much it was just a long battle sequence that was cool but i i kind of wanted more from it so but the, i feel this this gallery episode gave me a much higher appreciation for what happened because uh, uh, really this section, rather than focusing on the episode, really focused more on Robert Rodriguez as a person and like just kind of like the, him hanging out with the uh, the cast and crew behind the scenes, a lot of Tamara Morrison. Uh, it was it was very exciting. It was cool to see how excited he was for it. Uh, they had an awesome sequence where he had gotten the script and was choreographing uh, like as a demo uh, the uh, one of the fight sequence when Boba Fett first gets his armor back. And he, uh, he's like, well, I, I didn't like, I was doing it with my sons in my backyard. And, uh, at one point I didn't have enough, I didn't have any stormtroopers or whatever. So I was using action figures. So like, it's, it's like the most like cheesy cut together, like windows movie maker, like home movie thing ever. Like you got the guys, like the kids shooting each other in the backyard. Uh, and like he, like literally he like fires a shot and just like you do a close up of him holding a action figure and then just like flips it one uh, like flips it 90 degrees to have it laying down to signify that he got shot and it's just like the coolest like it just felt so home movie kind of like it's something i would have posted on youtube when i was like 13 I, I i love that so just seeing that kind of passion it's it's hard you know when you watch an episode and you're disappointed by it i think it's you're not thinking of everything that went into it. And, you know, it's, I'm not saying you can't be critical, but being presented with this other side of things, I think gives me a greater appreciation for what was done, uh, just with the episode in general, and just with any sort of media as a whole. You know, it's, it's, it's a lot harder to be critical when you see the love put into something. So just, just my thoughts there. I am very disappointed that they didn't, 
like talk about Luke whatsoever. Like I would have loved like you don't even have to tell me like you don't have to touch on like the story significance of it. I get that it's significant and everyone gets that significant. I would have just liked to see how like what the technology went into, you know, deep faking Luke Skywalker onto this uh this stunt double. Uh there this body double. Uh that's very interesting to me and one is like, oh like yeah, regardless of the fact it was Luke or whatever, like it could have been anyone, but I just wanted to see how they pulled it off and like what the, yeah, the, the, you know, the technology that goes into it, that felt like a perfect thing to talk about this episode, but they didn't. So a little disappointing that they like didn't even pay reference to it whatsoever, but it is what it is. I had fun with this special overall. It, like it's enjoyable. I just, <laughs> the if I can be critical at all, it's just, I wanted more. So I don't think that's a bad place to be. It's fun. If you like if you like that kind of thing, you can check it out. But with that said, we're finally going to touch on Myths and Fables by George Mann. So yeah, I'm actually going to do a decent amount of non-spoiler discussion first, because I think it's interesting. And there's a lot to talk about with this book. So it came out in 2019, and it's a set of... Uh, nine, it was originally a set of nine short stories... It's targeted at younger readers, but I think it's enjoyable for whoever reads it. Uh, if I've had actually a written review up on the Spiceden.com for quite a while, so I will link to that in the YouTube description, uh, or you know you can go Spiceden.com and check that out if you want to. But it's it's very interesting. So yeah, it was nine short stories. They were all like literally myths and fables. A lot of them pull from like traditional archetypes traditional tropes of these types of stories um some of them are very overt in that and some of them are less so there are some that are just like it's you know i can it's some of them like i, I read it and it's like oh that is the tortoise and the hare but star wars but then there are others that are just it's in a more original feeling story set in the star wars universe that that achieves the same you know moral lesson that a fab a traditional like aesop's fable would so it was good, but here, here's the but. I'm going to be talking about the Galaxy's Edge version of the book, which is not cheap. So the original version, you can buy that anywhere. You can get it on Amazon. It's you know, it's not that bad. It's a regular book, uh, and that has nine stories. There's another version that was released with a it was a Target exclusive. So like you know, the summer Target did a lot of Galaxy's Edge merch. Two of those items were an exclusive version of Myths and Fables, an exclusive version of the follow-up, also by George Mann, Dark Legends. And each of them originally had nine stories, but the Target version had an additional three stories. The problem is, that book was nearly impossible to get uh, if you just went to Target, unless you were there the first day, or unless for some, like, my Target is like a wasteland of stocking. Uh, like, I've told people, I've talked to people about this before, like, especially, like, covid times it looks like i'm trying to shop at super duper mart in fallout 3 like it's bad uh and i don't live in a like it's in a pretty affluent area so it doesn't make sense but anyways that book was nearly impossible to find i have actually looked in the past week and it's really not hard like it's not bad on ebay or at least i looked at dark legends um but like you can get it for like under 20 dollars, which is pretty solid but yeah, it, there are three additional stories through there. In addition, there are three additional stories on top of those three in the Galaxy's Edge version. But the thing is, the Galaxy's Edge version is 
not cheap. It is, well, one, you have to, it's in stock as of me recording this on Sunday, uh, but it has gone in and out for a while. I think it's probably safe now, it, like we've gotten through the initial wave of people ordering it because it came out in October, but it is $45, and okay, it's a beautiful book. It's one of, the, it's like, I have the collector's edition of Thrawn, uh, Chaos Rising behind me, and honestly, Myths and Fables is up there, and the Thrawn book was $150. Like, it's absolutely gorgeous. There's, like, distressed edges of the pages. It has, uh, like, a f- leatherish binding. Well, it does have, like, leather-like straps on the binding rather than a spine. Uh, and the the cover's amazing. It's, like, it's gorgeous. It's amazing. But it's $45 for... I, I, the thing is, I don't understand who this book is made for, this version of the book. It's like, it's obviously, well, the the answer is diehards, like the, the collectors, the, the canon completionists, because I cannot imagine spending $45 on a collector's item for a child that, you know, they're not going to get that level of appreciation out of it. And it's a book like it's like God, like I love books. I have a podcast mostly about Star Wars books. But yeah, I just I, I have a hard time reconciling the value proposition proposition of this edition of the book. For me and for other people like me, it's fantastic. If you can find it and you just like if if you yeah. If you can find it for a reasonable price reasonable price, I think the target version is probably the better edition for you, unless you're a completionist. Having said that, one of the best books or one of the best stories in the whole thing is in the Galaxy's Edge version, so that makes it tough as well. But anyways, having said that, I'm just going to kind of run down and talk about the stories in a more spoiler fashion. Like I had to get this initial like just rant out of the way. It like I put all that aside. I love the book. I thought it was fantastic. I didn't care that it was targeted at people like 10, 20 years younger than me. Or more than 10, definitely more than 10. Uh it was f- phenomenal. I loved it. But there is the whole thing with, yeah, charging $45 for book DLC. <laughs> but anyways, so we're just going to kind of run down the, the stories, talk about them briefly, uh, t- you know, highlight the ones I love the most and uh, go from there. So the first one is The Knight and the Dragon, and it is very nice. It is the cover art. Oh, yeah. Another thing, the, there's an illustra- an original illustration for each chapter and they all look beautiful they're done by grant griffin uh great work there it is the cover art of the main edition of the book and it is a it's never overtly said but it's obi-wan uh saving some uh villagers some tuscans from a crate dragon it's a great story yeah, it's yeah, it's very I, I love the fact that they just never say an obi-wan showed up like they're they're very coy about working around it and and referring to it but not giving you that bit it was yeah definitely i would say probably top maybe top five there's there's so many more stories to talk about the next is droid with the heart which it talks about general grievous who uh was a it it gives a a backstory of general grievous becoming who he is that we see in revenge of the sith and the clone wars it talks about a man who, like, had give me cyberpunk vibes. Who, yeah, a man that wanted to become a machine. And it's very interesting. He, so yeah, the the title is the Droid with the Heart. He like takes his droid army on a mission to an icy planet, uh, and he forces his droids to march across a tundra to catch the uh, Republic army off guard. 
it would win the battle, but it, it would destroy a ton of droids uh, just going through those conditions. Uh, but in order to save the lives of the droid army, a tactical droid defied his order and uh, had them go in a, about a different way. The Republic won, and the droids had to retreat as a cost of that. And the tactical droid was killed for insubordination and sent to the recyclers. Uh, by Grievous, of course. It was then added into the other droids and became a droid legend passed down of the one droid who would save his brethren. And in the end of the story, it, the droid was with the heart was not the one that had the literal heart. It was not General Grievous, but it was uh, the tactical droid that had the heart to save his fellow droids. The next story was Vengeful Waves, which talked about the Nautilans and Anselmi. They lived on Glee Ansel, uh, and if you don't know, Nautilans are the uh, Kitfisto species. So it's these two species that live in peace for so long underneath the ocean, uh, but eventually the Anselmi become greedy and take and take uh, from the Nautilans who are grateful and give them what they need. Uh, but eventually, the uh, what you know what the Anselmi have is not enough for them. So it's a, it's an Icarus story. Uh, they create an island empire above the sea, which angers the ocean spirit, and who the spirit decimates the island, kills most of the Anselmi, and uh, the Nautilans are sad because they lost their friends. It was it was cute, fun, nothing special. A again, if I'm not if I'm if I sound like negative, unless I'm like actually negative, these if I sound like meh about these stories, it means they're good. <laughs> it's just there are there are also stories that are fantastic. The next story was The Wanderer. It's about a mystical Jedi Knight on Karosha who came to came out of the mist into the city to save the people three times from the... Uh, it was the city of Solace, which was eventually destroyed by the Dark Wraith. The first time was fighting off a gang of pirates that was destroying this trade hub of a city. The next time, it was several years later where the city drilled for minerals outside and disturbed a hive of monsters that wrecked the city and he drove them back and uh, put them back in their home underground. And then lastly, there was a giant storm that threatened to sweep away the city with a, a huge wave, and he pushed it back for hours until the storm passed with the force. Unfortunately, eventually the Dark Wraith came and destroyed the city, but even though he did not save them then, he was a legend uh, long after it was gone. Next was Black Spire. There are many Galaxy's Edge-related stories, not surprising, this was kind of, especially with the Target and the Galaxy's Edge version, they were marketed to be, you know, sort at least somewhat paying uh, respects to the park. Uh, the, I did forget to mention, this book is written as if they were stories told to children in-universe. So, uh, we, uh, the next one, yeah, is Black Spire. It's about a small girl, Anya, who uh, saves her siblings uh, from a, basically a slaver. There are four of them that live with their widow of a mother in a next to a valley they all go play in the valley and the brother goes missing because he was kidnapped by slavers one by one they all try and go save him the eldest daughter goes into town with a sickle uh as a weapon did not return next goes with the blaster did not return anya was left alone with her mother and cried out in a hollow of a tree when an old man told her he had she must go next he gave her a little toy dagger made out of a branch and sent her on her way to black spire outpost there she finds the slaver and uh, spies her siblings working in his, uh, like, he had like a junkyard, I believe. Uh, she sneaks into his house during the night, puts her toy dagger to her, his neck, and demands that his, her sisters and brother be released. When she returns home, 
All the siblings are there, uh, freed by the man, and he leaves Batu to run to Wild Space to never return to steal the kids. Next is Gaze of Stone. I think this was one of my favorites. Uh, it basically tells the story of a, a Twi'lek who uh, was the uh, apprentice of Darth Kaldoth, a Bith Sith Lord, uh, over a thousand years ago. The story opens talking about a lone Twi'lek statue on the cliff of Moribund, also known as Korriban. They have been there for over a thousand years, uh, told to be an ancient Sith warrior, which many travelers and pilgrims to the planet would come to pay tribute to. The Twi'lek was originally born as Rhydnimbus, uh, and his he had like a dark energy to himself that drove everyone, including his father, away. His mother couldn't figure out what was going on, and no one would help her. But she was approached by Darth Kaldoth, who took the kid to help him, is what he told her. He basically took him and immediately just dropped him in slave fighting pits, where he fought uh, monsters and other slaves for seven years, until Darth Kaldoth returned. And he was a kid still at that point. Uh, Nimbus, or Nimbus, who was the kid's name, forgot about him, but once he remembered, he attacked him. And Darth Kaldoth, of course, destroys him with ease and cuts off a tip of his leku. They go on many adventures throughout the galaxy, and Kaldoth was uh, very into collecting relics and studying the mysticism of the Force. During the time, he was still quite cruel to Nimbus, which is very on brand for the Sith. Um, and, uh, you know, just put him up to trials uh, after trials. And at one point, he has him kill a Jedi to take the kyber crystal and bleed it for his own lightsaber. The biggest trial he ended up having was on he stood on an asteroid in wild space where a force cult had built a fortress overlooking a fissure in the void where he stared into the heart of the living force. Which is like pretty cosmic metal shit right there. Like, that was wild. You know, like, this, is, this stuff gets pretty ridiculous in some of these stories. Uh, but he eventually becomes jealous of his master and plans to strike him down. He goes into his master's chambers to study the texts that they had uh, collected over the years to try and find a way to usurp him. Kaldoth gave him a task, meanwhile, to create a statue of Kaldoth on Korriban. Uh, and Nimbus finds a spell he thinks will change Kaldoth into stone. Uh, but when they arrive and he tries to uh, carry out the spell, Kaldoth reveals that he had uh, realized what Nimbus had planned and altered the spell in the uh, text to make it so Nimbus was cast into stone instead of him, and he became the statue on the cliff. Again, that was one of my favorites. Next, we have the Witch and the Wookiee. Uh, this one is interesting. Basically, a, a group of pirates uh, steal a big, uh, a big plunder uh, and are trying to hide it to uh, kind of duck out on the heat from the Imperials. Uh, they end up, uh, going to a swamp, uh, moon and, uh, find a place. They, they're looking all over for like a cave or somewhere where they can hide it. Uh, but they just look, you know, they, they go until it's dark, can't find anything and end up coming across a small hut, which is the witch's house. Uh, they notice her hut was full of treasure and they lied about being pirates. Uh, they say they were actually hiding from pirates. So she takes them in. Uh, feeds them and tells them a similar story of how she was stranded there. They ate her food and planned to kill her and take all of her, uh, her riches. Uh, but she was no fool. And as one of the pirates went to stab her, the shadows in the hut, uh, I, like I always pictured like a Yoda hut, uh, from like Dagobah, 
uh, turn the shadows morph into a Wookiee, which uh, just annihilates them and throws them out of the hut. They run away and laugh as they go uh, because they uh, got away scot-free. Uh, but as they return uh, to their ship, they realize all of their treasure had turned to dust. Next was the story of the Dark Wraith. It is about the same city saved by the Knight, uh, the city of Solace. Uh, and it just talks about the Dark Wraith destroying the city. He's more or less the boogeyman, like straight up. Uh, he like kids are whispering the tales of like if you're a bad boy or girl, uh, the dark wraith will will come and kill you, or or maybe like a Krampus, something like that. Uh, but he uh, yeah, kills a kid for breaking into a store and I think stealing snacks or treats or something like that. Uh, the next one was uh, a girl who was spoiled and thought she was above everyone else, and he got her too. And then, but it's not just kids, adults are victims too. Uh, one was a gambler who cheated and got destroyed by the Wraith. He just, yeah, goes around and takes out all the bad people. But eventually the city, uh, I guess maybe like a Sodom Gomorrah kind of thing, where the city was bad enough that he just destroys the whole thing as an example. And uh, the Wanderer never came to save them, and that was the end of Solace. Uh, pretty cut and dry. But the art was beautiful. Like, I love that. Uh, very cool. Uh, if you haven't checked that out, um, it's uh, it's dope. Kind of like a Darth Vader-y inspired... They never outright say he's a Sith, but definitely some sort of dark side user. Uh, but yeah, super cool. Next, the story was Chasing Ghosts, which was another Batu-themed uh, story. Uh, it was about a scoundrel, uh, Misuk, who was fleeing from a kind of a green bounty hunter uh green as a new not green as in green skin uh but he uh flees to batu and um the uh the bounty hunter was trying to capture him and cash in a big prize he tried her, his best to dodge her but she always followed him but yeah eventually they make it onto batu um and uh he thought he would try and devise a plan to get her off his trail so he goes into Uga's Cantina from uh, the Galaxy's Edge Park and enraptures everyone there with the tale of the mythical thief Arquell, who had an enormous bounty on her head. This mythical thief grew up on the sublevels of Coruscant after the fall of the Empire and ran with the huts by the age of 15. Uh, one of her jobs was to get a data chip and a broken lightsaber hilt, but she was ambushed by her own mother who stole the prize from her, so she in return killed her mother and brought the chip back to get passage off-world, but kept the lightsaber as a token of her uh, of her past. Uh, the uh, the scoundrel Misuk told everyone around the table that the uh, mysterious mythical thief was spotted on Batu, so many of them gave chase to try and get that huge bounty, uh, including the very new bounty hunter after him. In the chaos, he ran away from to wild space, free from the bounty hunter. And it turns out Arkel was just a myth the whole time. Next was Sleeping Eye, which was the first Target exclusive story. And was shockingly, I think, one of my favorite, I would say easily top three. I don't, I think this is probably, I'm not, I'm probably going to be pretty alone on this one. I don't think anyone's going to outright, outright dislike it. Uh, but I'm assuming I'm going to be one of the few that loved it this much. Uh, it's about a tribe of simple Rodians who live on islands in Maldroth. Uh, they kind of like exiled himself here after a brutal civil war and lived there for many many generations and they're like more or less 
they're they're very like free of technology. I'm not gonna go as far as to say they're space Amish people, but they uh they live in the age of the empire with basically nothing. Uh, they rely a lot on the constellations and use them to uh kind of they they have a bit of astrology vibes to them. It's very beautiful, just like the the comparison of the stars in the sky and the eyes of the Rodians, which have, you know, kind of like a star pattern to them. There was one constellation called the Sleeping Eye, and it was said if it ever opened, then they could finally forgive themselves for the past with the war and move on with their lives. Uh, the story follows Tula, who's a stargazer, who was on watch one night and suddenly spotted a giant flash in the Great Swords constellation. Uh, one of the elders said it was a sign that the eye would open soon, and there was a big celebration because they finally were hoping they could leave and, you know, feel feel okay about themselves again. Um, but the next night, there was a giant flare in the middle of the anvil. Uh, they, wasn't, they weren't really sure about what to think of this one. Uh, one of the elders went into a trance and came back, speaking of a million voices crying out, uh, and it was a bad omen. Uh, the village became distraught and dejected, but Tula, uh, all by herself, took watch the last night, and she saw a brief spark in the middle of the eye, and there was much rejoicing. The eye was considered to open, and they would all be able to live their lives again. So, the, the million voices crying out, uh, pretty obvious what that would be, um, but there are, <laughs> so yeah, the the anvil uh, was likely the destruction of Alderaan, the uh the the explosion or the light in the sword before that i'm assuming is uh probably well there are two uh there are two tests of the the death star before that at scarif and at um at uh, jetta uh, i'm going to say scarif that was a well we'll go jetta let's uh eh, hard to tell it could have even been something else i don't know I'm, but anyways yeah and then I'm assuming the last, the, the explosion in the middle of the eye that caused the celebration was probably the destruction of the first Death Star. So, a very cool story. It's interesting to see this other kind of take on the galaxy, one more, much more simple, much more separated from the technology that often dominates part of Star Wars. Uh, next, another Target exclusive was the Leviathan. This is another kind of similar uh, Icarus-style story. Uh, this is it was very long ago on the planet of Moncala. A, a Mon Calamari boy swam too deep and uh, into a trench and awoke the Leviathan. He was adventurous, always pushing the boundaries, uh, and uh, he might have broken some small rules here and there. Uh, but he eventually went too far and dove to the bottom of the great Unginous Trench. Uh, he thought the fame and fortune it would bring would get him off-world. And his friends dared him to go, very like Nemo touch the boat kind of style. Um, he got a ways down before turning back, and had nightmares because of it. He went. He then later, several days later, decided to go even deeper. He got so far down, he saw a yellow orb of light, but got attached. But then he got attacked by a Kilkana, which is a water snake, and uh, it tried to pull him down. But he uh, played dead to make his escape. Uh, finally, he went out uh, the next morning with a torch and a harpoon. And got deep enough to find the orb, but it, uh, when he go, went to touch it, it pulled away. Uh, and there, it was part of the Leviathan, uh, and there, the tentacle attached to this orb was large enough to destroy a city in one smack. The Leviathan ate him and just, just like shook the city with earthquakes for a month. 
and he became uh, infamous for what he unleashed upon the city. Next is The Unwilling Apprentice, which is the first Galaxy's Edge story and one of the best. It's all about the backstory of a young Darth Maul being adopted by Darth Sidious. I will do a little bit more detail on this one because I think it's most interesting and one I think most people will want to hear. So it talks about a boy and his brother and his mother that all live together uh, on Dathomir. Uh, they learned a lot, but the boy, uh, he preferred to play by himself, the boy being Maul, obviously. He had a natural affinity with the living things uh, around him and also made sure to care for his weaker brother. His mother was very powerful and had many visitors come and go to visit her. Uh, uh, but one was a hooded man who the boy did not like. Uh, his mother was very wrapped up and enamored by him, and one day the boy found them alone together. The hooded man told her to send the boy away to become a warrior so she could be at his side and they could leave together. He burst in on them and was sent away and punished, but he ran into the woods to uh, to escape them. Uh, however, when he finally returns, he was sent with a brutal man who introduced him to his new kin, uh, who hated him a lot and beat the crap out of him all the time. Eventually, he escaped and ran back to his mother's, who wanted to help him, but the hooded man was still there and told her to send him back. So he got beat more, more and eventually he became angry and uh, vengeful, and his rage would uh, manifest itself in outbreaks of the Force, uh, like a vase would crack or a door would slam, and uh, he uh, honed his power over time and eventually found out that there would be a trial uh, amongst the boys in the village to find out who is the strongest. If you've seen The Clone Wars, this is going to start to sound familiar for you because this is the same thing that happened with Savage Opress. He honed his power over time, and eventually when the trial came, they would uh, whoever won the battle and won the trial would leave with a strange man. The boy was banned for the fight because his uh, caretaker thought he was uh, garbage and weak, uh, but when they left with the other two boys... Uh, he tore the door off his the hinges in his room and headed for the arena. He then uh, killed the keeper uh, who had been uh, letting, letting him live such an awful life uh, and killed the boys. Uh, but then the strange man who was going to take the winner off world turned out to be the hooded man. And he selected him his, as his apprentice and left his mother in the dust alone. Uh, so it was pretty sweet. Uh, this is yeah, this is again more, exp more development of Maul as a character from before his time as a Sith Lord, uh, which is pretty uh, pretty scarce at times. So cool stuff. Uh, the next one was the Golden One. This was just silly. Uh, it was uh, a uh, Ewok story all about uh, the advent of the Golden One. Um, basically it, talking about how the golden like everything was awful before the golden one arrived and uh like things were bad and the golden one arrived and became the sun and like led to the trees like all like basically uh if you've seen uh, it kind of reminds me of if you've seen uh moana like how maui describes like how he basically created all the world by his con like by his conquests uh that's kind of how the golden one seems in this story uh, and I'm like, oh, cool. So C-3PO uh, is the golden one. And, but no, C-3PO is the second coming of the golden one. Everything goes bad again when the when the golden one uh, disappears. But he uh, manifests himself again as a C-3PO, uh, according to the, the Ewok. So it was short, very silly, kind of cute. Uh, yeah, that was that. 
that was a so that one the so the unwilling apprentice the mall story was a galaxy's edge and then the golden one was actually the last target exclusive version they're actually out of order it goes target target galaxy's edge target galaxy's edge galaxy's edge so the next one we got two more the silent circle this one was kind of cool and just different i didn't expect it it was another batu story and it was talking about an ancient circle of trees close to ruins that were thought to be cursed nothing grows there and no one has tried to build there ever However, if you go late at night, uh, alone with a pure heart, they will tell you a tale. So the tale goes as follows. Long ago, the trees, which were equipped with the living force, sought knowledge and decided to play God. So they basically spurred evolution and nurtured a f uh, fairy-type creature and a large mammal beast to spread the trees, uh, the seeds of the trees all over the planet. So they sent out a colony, I think, into the mountains of trees. And they eventually nurtured aquatic species to uh, spread the seeds to islands. Uh, the, the big colonies never sent word back to these uh, sentient trees, uh, and they weren't sure what happened to them, but eventually they finally reached back out, and there was a resource war between the tree colonies and their respective uh, species. It got pretty bad, and eventually the fairy creatures uh, used the living force from the trees as a weapon to, uh, to just basically go uh, nuclear in the war. And the trees, this force sapping of the trees eventually kills everything, which leads to um, the like the the uh, petrified spires in uh, Batu that we're familiar with. So it was very interesting and very unexpected story, but I thought it was cool. It 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 was just different and exciting in in that regard. The last is the skip and the galleons, which was the uh, tortoise and the hare story I told about earlier. It talked about Ariana Surabat, who is the discoverer of Batuu. Uh, way long ago in uh, the history of the galaxy, she drove her ship, the Raven Star, with a little motley crew. Um, they, uh, they, they picked jobs as explorers, but they were very picky about those jobs, trying to only do ones they thought were the best fit for them. One day, one of their crew members comes back with a job, and there's a planet on the edge of the outer rim known as Batuu that uh, uh, some people need help establishing a forward base there uh, for fueling, and two other ships are going to try and compete with them, although they had a nice small ship. The sh other competition were big flashy galleons, and their captains looked down on the lowly Raven Star ship. The crew is suspicious about the ability to complete this mission, uh, but they pushed on. After after some time of traveling out to Batu, they found a, one of the galleons wrecked by pirates. They they stopped and took their time and looked through the wreckage and found a crewmate. Uh, and uh, they uh, rescued him. He told them that when uh, they were wrecked, the other gal galleon ignored their uh, their distressed calls and just trudged ahead. Uh, so they took him on, even though it was going to slow him down and supplies were going to be tight. They eventually caught up to the other galleon who had stopped to plunder a debris field for treasure outside the planets, uh, just, like very close to Batu. And they, they basically decide to race for pink slips. Whoever wins gets the other ship. Uh, and the galleon just like rockets ahead. Uh, but because of its ambition, it burned out on fuel uh, because of the acceleration and the extra weight of the uh, plundering they had done. And the Raven Star won uh, because of that. So... Batu was settled uh, with this at the Surabat Valley, and they all traded with the settlers of Wild Space and lived happily ever after. The end.
So, lots of fun. I really enjoyed uh, the uh, the whole this, the book as a whole. Again, it's just the weird situation of it. The you know, if you want to read the whole thing, you have to pay forty five dollars for a collector's edition. Uh, but you know what? I had fun. So, I guess that's all that matters. <laughs> Uh, well, anyways, if you liked what you had to hear, um, you know, check me out on thespiceden.com. I, I have read Light of the Jedi, and by the time you listen to this, there should be a written review up of the book. It is fantastic, and I'll be talking about that probably next week. Uh, I, again, I mentioned earlier, but there will be a new Light a Life from the Beacon episode talking about the future of the High Republic coming out on Wednesday. So you can check that out. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram, at SpicedInPod, if you want to connect with me more there. Uh, And as always, may the Force be with you.